This morning's scripture reading comes from Galatians 6, verses 1 through 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. This is the word of the Lord for us. Ohio State fans were reeling after round one of March Madness last year. Do you remember this? We were the number two seed, and we were absolutely shocked when the 15-ranked ORU got the upset win. This actually turned into one of the Cinderella stories, of course, when that team, ORU, continued on with their winning streak. They beat the Florida Gators in the next round. But it was interesting because as that particular basketball team gained headlines for their play, the school they represented came under fire. So ORU is an evangelical Christian school out in Oklahoma. A writer for USA Today urged people not to cheer for the team, but instead to protest them because of the school's conservative view on human sexuality. They, they called for cancellation. Cancel them. Now, ironically, it was the columnist who was canceled. It was just the next day that uh, this individual was fired, not related to that incident, but uh, due to an insensitive tweet in the wake of a mass shooting. But it's the way our culture reacts with this sort of knee-jerk response that just doesn't seem right. There is, as we will find today, a biblical model of helping people and warning people and really walking with people before you reach the point of cancellation. That's called accountability. And that's just what we're going to talk about today. So my name is John. I am thrilled to have you with us today. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So we are in week number two of a sermon series that we are calling Canceled. You know, we just see more and more people canceled in the public forum. And it's difficult and challenging to know how to respond. You know, headlines are just filled with public scrutiny, with condemnation. And of course, we know this as cancel culture. And so in these few weeks, we are studying a, studying a, a biblical model, as I mentioned, that the Bible speaks into these sort of issues, learning about repentance, learning about how we do indeed need to keep people accountable for their wrongdoing, but also leaving room for grace, that God's call is for repentance and restoration, not necessarily cancellation. And so if you were with us last Sunday, you recall as we sort of kicked off this sermon series that we talked about compassion. We need to be compassionate. We need to have a heart of compassion that, that too often we are out to get others in a sort of a vengeful kind of way, or we're just disaffected altogether. We're unaffected and unconcerned with the struggles and the needs of others, but we learned that the Lord calls us to care, and that as we recognize our own need for grace, you may remember that from last Sunday, talking about that the the one of the keys to understanding compassion and developing a compassionate heart is 
understanding and recognizing and admitting your own faults. That as we embrace and recognize our own need for grace, that God uses us to extend it to one another. So let me ask us this. If the answer for wrongdoing is not cancellation, then does that mean we adopt the I'm okay, you're okay mentality? Does that mean we go to the place of you do you, you know, this sort of live and let live, let bygones be bygones, no judgment, no no condemnation? No, a resounding no. We don't just say live and let live, I'm okay, you're okay, if we truly have compassion. And see, this is where we see that beautiful link. If we truly have compassion, then we speak into the lives of others. Now, yes, we do so with love. We do so with tact. But the answer lies in what I'm calling courageous accountability. Courageous accountability. This is the biblical approach. It is neither this sort of quick triggered cancellation, nor is it this blanket hall pass to approving anything and everything. So let me just say this clearly. Sin in the church needs to be dealt with. Not ignored, but dealt with. So being accountable is how we do that. Being accountable to a loving community of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then what we see there is when we place ourselves in that context, it's really sort of like a safety net for us. In other words, we've positioned ourselves in a place where we can mess up, we can learn, we can course correct on our faith journey because we're all going to stumble and fall. But we've positioned ourselves in a place where we can learn, we can grow. And so here's what I want to do this morning as we're talking about courageous accountability that I'm encouraging in myself and in each and every one of us. And I'd like to share three keys for this sort of courageous accountability. I'll tell you what they are right here at the start, and then we'll walk through them together. Number one is to live in community. That is, we submit one to another. Number two is to confront sin. Remember, courageous accountability. Confronting sin. So number one, live in community. Number two, confront sin. And number three, restore those who have fallen. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, let's open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a letter to the church in Corinth that's written by Paul. He's the guy who founded the church there. He spent a year and a half ministering to that group, and now he's writing them a letter because he wants to encourage them, and he wants to address, oh, let's just say some issues they were having. So we're going we're gonna to study this passage this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Whoo, this church has issues. (laughs) 
Stuff we don't normally talk about, right? So this is an incestuous relationship. It's between a man and I guess what we'd say is his stepmother, his father's wife. Not, not his biological mother, his father's wife. So his stepmother. And it wasn't being dealt with. It was being ignored. Instead of a church that's upset by this, that's bothered by this, that's troubled by this, which is the right response, this is a church who just kind of looked the other way. Paul says here, in order to sort of bring them to their senses, to, to, bring, to bring this into perspective, even the pagans would not tolerate this. Like, this is how detestable you are. You, who are holy and set apart, you who are the bride of Christ, are allowing a practice that even the pagans would be gagging and retching. Who would be disgusted. Who would call someone out for this, is what he's saying. The pagans would say, hold up, wait a minute, this isn't right. This cannot go unchecked. This is what Paul is saying, right? He addresses it right at the start of chapter 5. This man needs to be dealt with for the salvation of his own soul. For the witness of the church. Now listen, as we talk about accountability today and, you know, this idea of expel the immoral brother, I realize that for some of us, many of us, our church background has done this poorly. And I want to acknowledge that. That's part of the reason I want to just camp out here a little bit today. Like, that it's so important for each and every one of us, for MCA as a healthy church body, to realize and recognize a healthy biblical understanding of accountability, church discipline. Right? The, the biblical model here is a discipline that is intended to help the sinner. It's done with love. It's done with this heart of compassion. And the goal is very clear. The goal is to restore the person. Restore this man back to fellowship with God. Restore this man back to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So why don't we do this kind of thing in the church? Why, why, don't, why don't we call out the sin that we see in others? Why, why, why is the Corinthian church just allowing this to go on? And, and I think we would probably even admit to that in our own world at times of just looking the other way. The number one reason why we don't hold each other accountable, by the way, is because of not being connected to one another. Not being connected with one another. You know, it's this sort of, I barely know him. I'm not going to go to him and then speak this to him. So if we truly want courageous accountability, it begins with living in community. So again, that's the first key for us today as we, we consider. We want to have courageous accountability. We must live in community. We must submit to one another. We must do life together. We've got to know each other and trust each other. Now, of course, you don't go up to someone you barely know and point out their sin. Yeah, I can just imagine. I'm at Mrs. Yoder's kitchen. I notice someone. I think I've seen them at church. They're up at the buffet. Hey there, I'm John. I don't think we've met before. Yeah, pleasure to meet you. Hey, noticed you're up here for the fourth time. Do you know gluttony's a sin? You know, why don't you just stop after three trips to the all-you-can-eat buffet? That's kind of a holy number, isn't it? <laughs> like, we don't do that, and there's good reason why we don't do that. Because that's not in the context of loving Christian relationship, a, a connection. And I think that's part of the reason, then, that sometimes we're tempted to remove ourselves. We're tempted to isolate ourselves. That we don't want people to know our struggles. We don't want people to know our weaknesses. We don't really want people to be courageous 
in their accountability toward us. And what happens then is we move more toward the edge. We move more toward the fringe. We put up walls between ourselves and others. We keep people at arm's length. But I want to make clear this morning, we do so at our own peril. When we isolate ourselves, that's where the enemy wants us to be. Do you know what the number one rule of hiking is? Never hike alone. That's the number one rule of hiking. Never hike alone. And the wisdom of Scripture tells us this, that two are better than one. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Like, when one falls down, the other one helps him up. When one is cold, the other provide warmth. When one is susceptible to attack, those two can stand strong together. Yes, it is always best to have someone with you. You never hike alone. What if a bear attacks? You know the old saying, you don't have to outrun the bear. <laughs> you just have to outrun your friend. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but listen, as we talk about courageous accountability today, it begins here with living in community. Submitting ourselves one to another. When you do that, when you have those connections and relationships, you have people in your life that help you when you get stuck. You have people in your life that are with you when you've messed up, when you need a friend, when you need grace. And again, touching on a little bit of what I preached last Sunday, we've all messed up. We've got to humble ourselves and realize that, that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we need people. Each and every one of us needs people in our lives who will be courageous in accountability to help us. So let me ask you this morning, who do you have in your life? Who's in your corner? Who have you submitted to that you allow to speak lovingly and tactfully into your life who would point out sinfulness and wrongdoing in your life because they love you. And if you don't have those people, would you consider stepping into community today? And I realize that takes trust. I realize that takes courage. But you need people in your life who will love you. And so we submit one to another in loving Christian community and it's in this context, really, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where, where Paul is giving guidance to this church. And here's the biblical truth. Blatant sin must be confronted, right? And so that's our second key to courageous accountability. The first is to live in community. The second is to confront sin. And, and I do want to make clear there's an important distinction that Paul makes in this passage, that we aren't to judge outsiders because of their sin, but Instead, we're talking about loving those within the kingdom. That, that it's God's job to deal with those that are outside the faith. It's not our job to condemn unbelievers. And how we've gotten this wrong. So many times we've gotten this wrong. Individually, corporately, collectively. We criticize pagans for acting like pagans. Why do we expect pagans to live like anything other than pagans? And so, church, we've got to stop condemning the world for being the world. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the truth of Scripture. They've not been called into the kingdom of the Son. They're living in darkness. And so that's what you're going to see from their life. Let's pick it up here in verse 9. So, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Starting at verse 9, here's what Paul says. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. He says, in that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Then verse 12, here's what Paul says. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I want to read that one again. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And then he quotes an Old Testament verse there that says, expel the wicked person from among you. So in our dealings with the pagan unbelieving world, we use great wisdom. We use great discretion as we want to show them love. But church, if Christ has not come to condemn the world, then neither do we. How sad when that's what the church is known for. How sad when we don't imitate Christ in loving the world. So we choose to stop condemning the world. We see the clear biblical teaching. What business is it of yours to judge those outside the church? Now, of course, we don't support individuals or organizations that go against the gospel. Of course not. We have convictions sometimes against associating with or, or supporting things that are against Christ. And that's not what I'm addressing here. But let's start holding ourselves to God's standards and allow the Lord to deal with those people who don't yet know Jesus. Here's something else I really want to make crystal clear. And, and that is, as we're talking about accountability, holding someone accountable for their sin. And again, we've, we've clarified that we're talking about within the church, not judging the world, but brother, a brother or sister in Christ. That, that when we're holding someone accountable, it is for a three-letter word, which is sin. We are holding someone accountable for sin. This is not a gray area. This is not just arbitrarily chosen based on our cultural preferences. So if and when an individual is placed under church discipline, it must be for a sin issue and no other reason. If church discipline is enacted and it's not a sin issue, well, that's legalism. That's enforcing human law, human regulation, as if it were God's law. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize just how messed up that is in trying to discourage and confront sin in the church. What has the church done but sinned? So I want to make this very clear that when we talk about church discipline and holding someone accountable, that it must be, it can only be for a sin issue. If we're enforcing a, a human law, a human regulation, a, a cultural preference, and, and bringing discipline on that. That's legalism. And it's wrong. Like there are so many things that we can disagree on. 
that there are matters of personal conviction. And we can accept one another as a genuine brother or sister in Christ. We can serve the Lord together in ministry. We can fellowship with one another. We can accept one another without fear of being excommunicated. Head coverings is an example. Right here in Ohio's beautiful Amish country. And we see some who, who have that conviction, who live out that practice. To which I say, let it be for those who that is their conviction. Let it be. But don't pass judgment on someone who doesn't share that conviction. So there are, again, in context here, you know, we, we, we sort of coexist with a spectrum of the plain community and those that are a little more conservative. And it's like issues of clothing or jewelry or hairstyle, like that's personal preference. That, that is, I might have a conviction, and it might be different from yours, but that's not a deal breaker. We can serve together. We both love Jesus. We can be in fellowship one with another. You're not going to be excommunicated. You're not going to be put under church discipline because you're not following what I think is right or best for me. I'm going to accept you for you. The same goes for choices with food and drink with the way we use technology, or if we bear arms or not, or if you get the COVID vaccine or not. The, like, these are not biblical issues. These are issues of personal choice and conviction. The musical style that you listen to and like and appreciate, the type of worship that you most enjoy, like, these are not lines to be drawn in the sand to divide us. Now, having said that, there are crystal clear biblical issues of sin. But, like, we want to draw lines in the sand. We want to hold someone accountable. Yes, the Bible has many things that are very clear on which we do want to hold each other accountable. So we got several of them listed in 1 Corinthians 5. We have the rest of the Bible that lists others. Sexual immorality. That's a sin. Greed, it's a sin. Gossip, drunkenness, swindling, practicing sorcery, witchcraft, and magic. Pride, anger, stealing, lying, murder, lust, jealousy, hypocrisy, hatred, envy, blasphemy, idolatry, favoritism. These are sin issues. You know what another one is? Complaining. You know what another one is? Grumbling. You know what another one is? Disobeying your parents. That's for people who still live under their mom and dad's roof. That's a sin issue. Disobeying your parents. And so I'm not in any way saying every single issue is you do you. That's my conviction. No, 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 no. There are clear biblical issues here. If you're complaining, if you're lying, if you're stealing, like those are sin issues. And those are the things you need people in your life that are willing to say, you've chosen a sinful path, but I'd like to call you back to serving Christ, to be restored. I just want to make this clear. This biblical model for accountability, it's not forcing everyone else to adopt your perspective or your methods or your convictions or your spiritual walk. 
but it is caring enough about a person to recognize when they have indeed chosen that path that is sinful. And we then call them gently, lovingly, in humility, back to the Lord. That's always the goal with accountability is restoration. It's to help guard against sin. So when you have accountability in in place, you, you get wise counsel that warns you before you even do it. When you have accountability in place, you have people there that when you do stumble and fall, restore you when you're fallen. That's our third key for courageous accountability. We live in community, we confront sin, and we restore the fallen. Now, for this, I do want to move to a different passage in Scripture, Galatians chapter 6. This is where Steph read for us a few moments ago. Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1 that says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now, I do want to um, do some teaching here on as you as we read this where it says someone who is caught in a sin and we think like caught in the act like ah we caught you it's that that's not the true meaning of this it's caught as in like they're entangled in sin they're ensnared in sin they are imprisoned by sin john 8 34 says everyone who sins is a slave to sin and while you didn't recognize it at first sin is a very cruel master It's been said many times that it will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you'd ever want to pay. And so, when a person has chosen a path that is foolish, has chosen a path that is clearly sinful, then it's our responsibility to restore that person. And what a beautiful thing. (laughs) What a great demonstration of the heart of God. The grace of God poured out, flowing through Christian believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. When the lost sheep is carried back into the fold, when the prodigal son is embraced with loving arms, when the prisoner is released from those chains of bondage, when the new creation then blooms and joins in singing with all creation, When those who stumble, those who have fallen, are picked up and dusted off and ushered back onto the path of righteousness. What a beautiful thing. But it only happens when a brother or sister in Christ cares enough and is willing to live out courageous accountability. We stand in the gap for those who have fallen and need restored. We reach out a hand of mercy. In my study this week, I read from one commentator this quote, The occasion of sin is the opportunity for spirit-led people to display the fruit of the Spirit in order to bring healing to the sinner and unity to the church. Now, there are specific guidelines for how this is done. In Matthew chapter 18, our Lord Jesus kind of walks us through this four-step process of of how do you restore the person by confronting them and bringing before them the... the, He says you, you go to the person in love. He says it is only, like only, only, only when you've persisted, when you've prayed, when you've, when you've, 
expanded the circle. You, you bring a few other people in to help with the confrontation. It's only when you've done that and the person is still unremorseful and still unrepentant and they refuse to recognize as sin that which Scripture says is sin. It's only then do we break fellowship. And in that passage then, in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus gives us this model, he says, then you are to treat that person as you would the pagans and the tax collectors. And when I read that, I always go, so how are we supposed to treat the pagans? And again, I look at the church and I go, man, we've messed this up. Because a lot of times, touching on what I spoke about earlier, a lot of times the way we treat pagans is by condemning them and judging them. But that's not what Jesus was saying to do. (laughs) When he says that unrepentant person that you then do break fellowship with, you treat them as a pagan, meaning you love them. No, you don't join together in ministry. You you don't partner together. You don't don't have this intimate bond of, of fellowship and accountability with one another. You don't affirm their choices. But you love them. You treat them as you would the unbelieving world. And then you, what you do is you pray and you wait and you hope and you trust the Lord in his timing for that day when they come to their senses. That day when you can rejoice as the father rejoiced when the prodigal son returned and say, you're back. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. You say you are now to be restored back into fellowship with God, back into fellowship with God's family. <laughs> The next verse there in Galatians chapter 6 is verse 2, and it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so I want to issue this challenge before us today, as we're talking about courageous accountability. Are we willing to submit to one another in love? Are we willing to live truly in community, knowing and being known? Are we willing to confront sin? By the way, it means we have to know the scriptures. You're not going to dare come to someone and say, this is sin, I think. This is sin, maybe. You're going to go with the clear truth of God's word. All the more reason, brothers and sisters, don't just open your Bibles on Sundays. But each and every day, getting into the word of God, that you might not sin against God in your own heart and life. And that if and when God wants to use you in this way to confront lovingly a brother or sister, you can say, this is what God's word teaches. And I want to warn you, and I want to restore you. So the challenge is before us today. We're going to live in community. We're going to confront sin. We're going to restore those who have fallen. And that's really hard work. Like, that means getting in the trenches with brothers and sisters who have messed up and who are then just struggling and hurting. And a lot of times they're, they're beating themselves up and struggling with shame and doubt. But to then walk alongside them shoulder to shoulder. So we have a responsibility one to another. We are called to this, to come alongside one another. We heard it here in Galatians 6 too, to bear the burdens of one another. And ultimately... Isn't that the work of Christ? Isn't that what Jesus has done for us is bearing our burdens, paying the price that we could never pay? That that he came near to us, that he cares for us, that, that he carried that ultimate burden of sin and he took it to the cross and it was nailed there once and for all. 
He was wounded that we might be healed. He was punished that we might be forgiven. And maybe that's what some of us need to do today is give our burden to Christ. Oh, there is freedom only when your sins are forgiven and you're made right with God because of Jesus. Our prayer team is going to be up here and available in the front right after the service. We would invite you to come. Come with anything that's burdening you. Come with anything that's weighing you down. Come in need of the Lord. And we would be honored to pray with you and to pray for you. To help bear your burdens. That's how we experience courageous accountability, church. Side by side. Shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand, bearing one another's burdens. Keeping in step with the Spirit and fulfilling the law of Christ. And in so doing, we put on display for the whole world the love of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we are so grateful that you draw near to us and that you hear us. Thank you for the work that our Lord Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross, bearing our burden that we might be forgiven. And we thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ who have not given up on us, but who continue to hold us accountable courageously because they love us. So Lord, I pray for that today. Help us to submit one to another. Help us to courageously and yet with tact and grace and love confront the sin that's in our midst and to then restore those who have fallen. And Lord, we thank you that your love for us is endless, that you've poured out the full extent of it through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. It's only in his precious name we pray these things. Amen.